0: We're going to look at a passage in the Old Testament tonight. We're going to be in Nehemiah. We're going to be at the very beginning of Nehemiah. It's on page 403. So many times this week when I was looking up Nehemiah, I had to go, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. I had to go through the Bible books in my head. I learned a song when I was younger, and then I taught it when I was a children's pastor. And so I was like, where is Nehemiah? And I had to keep finding it. So it's on page 403. And so I need, to, I need to set you up to Nehemiah because we are actually going to read Nehemiah's diary tonight. That's exactly what this is, is it's his diary. And so Nehemiah is an Israelite. He's part of God's chosen people. God chose the Israelites to give his message out to the world. And he's one of the Israelites. And the Israelites had set up their capital in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was um, the fortified city. They had walls built around it. And they had these huge, big stone, uh, or actually wood doors um, at the different gates. And they had different gates around the city and stuff. And at this time, the Babylonian army had come in and destroyed all of Jerusalem. They had knocked the walls down. They had burned down these incredible gates um, about three or four years, well, it was probably even four years ago now, I had the opportunity to go to Israel and uh, to visit the Holy Land. and it's the most fascinating trip. if you've ever get an opportunity, you need to do it for sure. But at one of the sites, there are actually still in Jerusalem. in old Jerusalem, there are still those incredible gates that close and open, and they're these huge wooden spaces, and you can see them. And I thought, "Wow, when they burn down it opened them up. And then all the walls were torn down. And there's a place in Jerusalem still where there are these stones that are just in rubbles, huge stones, bigger than you can see, than you can think, huge, that are where the temple has been, was torn down and been rebuilt. And so the, the temple is torn down. The gates are all down. And Jerusalem has been in exile, but there's a remnant that has gone back into Jerusalem, and they were there to rebuild. One of the things that was inside Jerusalem was the temple, and this was Solomon's temple, the one that he had built that was lavish and incredible. And for the Israelites, the temple was where God was. See, God was inside the holy of holies of the temple, and that's where they would go to meet God, and that's how they had set everything up from when they left out of slavery and were wandering in the desert when they started with the tabernacle and then they built this temple. And so here in Solomon's temple was where God was housed. So when everything was torn down and broken, they didn't have a way back to God. And so there's this remnant who had come back, a few people who had left to come back to Israel and they were supposed to rebuild, but for some reason they got a little distracted by the people and things around them and they didn't rebuild, and they didn't rebuild the temple, but they began to take on the pagan customs of the land around them, and they began to worship other gods and and things around them, and so they weren't doing what God had intended for them to do, and that's where we're going to pick up in this chapter in uh, Nehemiah chapter 1. In Nehemiah chapter 1, it says, these are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hania, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some of the other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, things are not going well. For those who return to the province of Judah, they are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Have you ever been so upset about something that you just stopped what you did? And maybe you began to cry, or you began to face what that was, and it just broke your heart? Have you ever been so heartbroken for something that it just stopped you where you were? I broke my heart, my mom's heart one time, (laughs) probably a lot of times, but one time that I remember for sure. About 18 years ago, we left uh, Virginia and moved here to Beaver Creek, and I had two little babies. One was five, and one was two and a half. And we lived about a mile from my mom and dad, And we were so close to them, and, you know, family dinners and the whole nine yards, and we moved away. And I broke her heart. And she knew, like, every time I would call, she could hardly talk to me. She would cry. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? I'm talking to you. I didn't understand. But I knew that she was heartbroken for that. And we always knew when we were coming here to To Beaver Creek, we were like, uh, my husband and I, we are going to the mission field. Like, we are called by God. This is an incredible thing. My youngest one was two and a half. And she couldn't really get Hawaii or Ohio out of her mouth. She kept saying Hawaii. And she would say, people would say, oh, where are you guys going? She'd say Hawaii. About the first winter, she knew for sure we were not in Hawaii anymore. That's when we were done, and she knew. And so when we came here, we were so excited. My husband actually began in ministry, and I kind of followed a year later and began with a preschool ministry. And, and the church, we call it the mothership, Beaver Creek Nazarene is where we were. And we uh, we the, the, the vision of the church was bridging church to neighborhood. And it was all about going into the neighborhoods. And as the preschool pastor, I was like, yeah, we can do this. And so we would have a soccer camp for preschoolers, and we'd have... 300 kids on the lawn, it was so great, and we'd have breakfast with Santa, and all these people would come in, and we would do all these incredible things, or these fun things, you know, I, I'm i just all about, let's do something big and fun, and what nobody else is doing, and so we would do, um, we started as a trunk or treat, turned into a hollow a weenie, and, and we were like, what is nobody else doing that we can reach the community? And, and it was always our focus to reach out into the community, community and to be with other people. And is how can we reach other people for God? How can we connect to other people? How is it that they can come to the church and maybe experience something great? And through the years, there have been different things and we would try uh, different things and do all kinds of things. And it always was something that we knew that Jesus would always do. A couple of weeks ago, um, we talked about Matthew 9. Um, so if you'll turn over to Matthew 9, and we're going to go through that again, it's in, it's on page 806. But in Matthew chapter 9, this is where Jesus is calling his disciples. And, and Jesus had just begun his ministry, and he was so, um, so he, so he must have been just so... Um, All I can think of is effervescent, but (laughs) I don't think that's the right word. He was just so charismatic. People were drawn to him. He was the son of God. (laughs) And so he would come along to different people and he would say, hey, follow me. And these fishermen, who their livelihood was fishing, would drop their nets and follow Jesus. And if he would say, come be my disciple... That means that they would stop what they were doing. They would take their life up with Jesus and they would follow him to see what he was doing. They would learn everything that he was teaching. They would, they would begin to, to study and learn and do by his example. Well, in this passage in Matthew, Jesus calls Matthew. Levi, I believe, was, he's also called by. And then Matthew was a tax collector. And if you remember, we talked about that tax collector's we were not people that anybody else liked. Because what happened is Rome would hire somebody to collect the taxes, and they would say, you need to collect at least $2, collect whatever you want, but give us $2. And so these tax collectors were known to collect $6. Two of them went to Rome. Rome didn't care. They're like, yep, they're giving us our money. Do whatever you want. And so everybody knew that tax collectors took more. And so Jesus comes to this tax collector, Matthew, and he says, Come and follow me, be my disciple. Matthew's like, okay. (laughs) I love the calling of the disciples because it's always like, okay, let's just go. (laughs) I don't know that I would do that. Maybe if I saw the Son of God, maybe if Jesus was in front of me, sometimes he tells me to be nice and pay for somebody's food, and I'm like, no, that's ridiculous, I can't do that. I need that money. I hate to admit that to you, but sometimes I do. Sometimes the Son of God asks me to do things, and I'm like, you must be talking to somebody else. I have a different frequency. I'm changing it. I don't always listen, but Matthew did. And not only did Matthew listen, but then Matthew said, hey, I'm going to invite all my tax collector friends, and we're going to have a party. It's like my going away party. Come on. And Jesus goes, and he's there having a good time. Now, Jesus has drawn the attention of the church leaders around him, the ones in the temple, the ones where they connected to God in the temple, those church leaders. That's where he's he's drawn some attention. And so as they're noticing what's happening, this is what we're going to read, just verses uh, 12 and 13, because these Pharisees saw that and his disciples, and they're like, what? Why would Jesus eat with these people? Why would he be in there amongst all these sinners? Then Jesus heard this in verse 12. He said, Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And then he added, Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. I love so much of that, but one of the things is now, go and listen to what this means. I want you to offer mercy, not sacrifices. You see, Jesus said, listen, I want you to be kind to other people. I want you to accept people for who they are. I want you to love people, and not be so caught up in the rituals and the rules that you've lost sight of who people are. Jesus came to be with those people. And so why aren't we? Why aren't we just hanging out with people, doing life with people? Why aren't we just loving people? When we um, came to Beaver Creek and we began to grow and And uh, learn all kinds of things. And I became the children's pastor and did vacation Bible school and all those great things. And then about four years ago, somebody thought it would be a good idea to take this outgoing children's pastor and let's put her the lead pastor of the church in Alpha. That should be fun. Like, okay. I thought, okay, we could do hand motions in here just as easy as I do them in kids' church. That should, like, we like motions. And the first thing I did when I came here is get to know the neighbors in the community and go to the bonfires. See, I'd been taught all along, all my work at Beaver Creek Nazarene, all my time as a children's pastor taught me to, to, I need to love people. I need to accept people. I need to become a neighbor to people. I need to bridge out to people. You see, this church here, this one right here, it wasn't really well known in the community or maybe well-liked in the community, or maybe very open to the community. And so I thought, why don't I just go out and just be friends with people? That's all I really know how to do, so that's what I did. (laughs) I just said, hey, what's new? Our neighbor next door over here, um, the church had not been very kind to him. They didn't have a good relationship. He didn't trust anybody, and I thought, I'll make him my friend. Surely he'll like me, and he does most days. Most days he does. And it's like, what is it that we can do to to open up our hearts and our minds to more people? What is it that we can do? We can show love to those around us. We can be kind to one another. We can begin to open our doors. One of the first things we did, we were the church that saved Halloween. It was a rainy night. We, I didn't think we were having services yet. In Halloween, they always do a big thing down at the mill. And uh, it was rainy. And I said, hey, you guys can come to the church. Because they always serve hot dogs and, and hot chocolate and cider and things like that down at the mill in the park. Well, it was rainy and cold. So I'm like, come to the church. We saved Halloween that year. I was like, that's, that's got to be the biggest win ever. The church that saved Halloween. That's what I want to be known for. <laughs> the church that saved Halloween. Recently, we have been introduced to um, some startling new facts. We talked about these not too long ago in our series. We talked about how in Greene County alone, when they did the census recently, there was a number, 104,100 people in Greene County, 104,100 people. If I had that screen right here, you would see a picture of that number. And you'd be like, oh, God. <clears throat> 104,100 people on their recent census have said, I don't have any church affiliation. They're called the nuns, N-O-N-E. It's a, it's a growing group among Americans. I don't have any church affiliation. They've either walked away for some reason. The church of their youth maybe became too rigid like the temple had become. Maybe it became too much about sacrifices and not about mercy. Maybe they just never went to church. Maybe they had no use for God. But that number 104,100 in our area should make your heart break. There are that many people that don't even know what it is to be in a church like this don't even know what it's like to have a relationship with a God that loves them. Who says, let's, let's offer mercy and not sacrifices. That's what you need to learn, church. We need to show mercy, not sacrifices. And so that number should break your heart like it did Nehemiah. It should make you go, oh, oh. Let me tell you what Nehemiah did. If you go back and look in Nehemiah, he began to weep and mourn, and he prayed to God. He said, God, what can I do for this? What can I do about this? And Nehemiah was so sad and distraught about all of this. And Nehemiah, his job was cupbearer to the king. And so while he was in captivity, it was his job to be the cupbearer and and drink the wine before the king did, so in case there was poison, he would die first, and the king wouldn't. (laughs) That's kind of a cool job, right? Like, oh, yeah, you're good. Go ahead. (laughs) But, and the other thing, if he drank the wine and he died, then the king was saved. Well, the cupbearer, Nehemiah, comes to the king one day, and the king's like, why are you so sad? That is, you do not want your cupbearer sad, right? It's okay. I don't care. (laughs) He comes, why are you so sad? Nehemiah says, my heart is broken. My hometown of Jerusalem is, is in ruins and shambles. They have no way back to God. And the king said, what do you need? And he said, he said, king, give me some time off, and then give me a letter to let me go through all the providences. Let me be able to go through there safely. Let me pass through there and go in there. And so the king said, absolutely. And he gave him everything he needed. And Nehemiah went, and he saw the things in ruins. And he saw the city in ruins, and he saw all the doors down, and he's like, we got to come up with a plan. He's like, we got to do something. So he walked around the city, and he began to survey, and then the people were there, and they're like, what are you doing? He's like, we need to rebuild the city. He said, we can't allow Jerusalem to be like this. We've got to rebuild the walls. And they began to hesitate, and he goes, if not us, then who? If not now, then when? You guys have been like this for the last hundred years. If not us to rebuild these walls, then who? If not now, then when? That's what I feel like we need to be doing. If not us to reach the 104,100 then who? If not now, then when? Is it another 15 years until the census comes out again and there's, there's 204,000? You see, this vision of the 104,000 isn't just for Beaver Creek. It isn't just mine. It's ours. This is all of us. This is something that should break our hearts to say, wow, there's this God out there that loves so crazy, like doesn't put any stipulations on people, doesn't put things on, doesn't tell you, hey, clean up, get all really good, and then come in, you're going to be fine. No, he says, come on, come on. He's like, my love for you is great and enormous. And he said, listen, you need to be reminded to show mercy not sacrifices. And so, if not us, then who? If not now, then when? So we're going to do some things different. We're going to open our doors on Sunday. We're going to have a service just like this one on Sunday. We're going to put a crazy screen up right here. We're going to do things a little bit different. Why? So we can open our doors so that people can come so that we have another space so that you can invite friends, so that you can say, hey, there's this really cool place, and they can go, oh, yeah, I don't like to get up on Sunday. You're like, oh, guess what? We got a Saturday night. That's so cool. You can come then. We're going to give as much opportunity as we can. I can invite, hmm, I don't know. I can invite 25 people maybe if I see everybody, if I invite everybody I see. Well, that's just a tiny amount. It's not just me, it's us. This is ours. This is our vision. This is, this is our responsibility to share the love of God with other people. This is our responsibility to be able to say, you know what, there is something really good going on and God does amazing things and God meets you wherever you are. Do you wanna come with me? Come on. Just see for yourself. You don't have to do anything but say, do well, you want to try? If you don't ever ask, then you don't ever know. Then you don't ever know. And maybe this is something that should really break your heart. Maybe knowing that there's people out there that don't know God's incredible love. Maybe it should make you go, huh, that is kind of sad. Why should I keep this all to myself? Maybe I should share that with others. If not us, then who? If not now, then when? Now's the time. It's an incredible opportunity. Renata said it earlier. Easter's a great time for people to come to church. Even if they never ever go to church, Easter sometimes triggers people to go, oh, people usually go to church on Sunday. Or if they never have, it's a great time to say, hey, you want to come to church with me? Come on. You don't, have to, you don't have to do anything. Just come. You can come in your St. Patrick's Day clothes. No big deal. You can come however you want to. However you want to. You just come. Because it's not about what you wear. It's not about where you sit. It's about how you experience God's love. How you see God and know that he's here. One of the things that we do here that we think is so powerful is communion. Every week, we invite you to the table that Christ set before us. We invite you to this table because it's open, because that's how God intended it to be. We invite you to the table to share in communion because that's what, that's what Jesus set it up for. When he had his disciples together um, at what was going to be their last meal together, we're coming so close to that now at the end of Lent and in this area and to talk about their last supper. It was a Passover celebration. It was a great celebration. And they had, they had been used to all of this for so long and they were, they were just going through everything. This would be like sacrifice, like something they were used to. And as Jesus gathered them around, things had been a little bit different and he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he passed it around. He said, Take and eat. This is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup of wine and he and he blessed it. And he passed it around. He said, This is my blood shed for you. And today, when we do this, we remember that his body was broken, and his blood was shed so that we could share, so that we could remember mercy, so that we could. Proclaim his love so that we would know that, listen, this is for everyone. Oh, man. It's an incredible thing to be reminded that his body was broken and his blood was shed for us so that we could receive forgiveness, so that we could receive power, so that we could receive all that he has for us so that we can be so full of his love that it spills out on the people around us that we can be the church that saved Halloween so that we can be the people that invite other people to this crazy thing called church that's so, so open and honest and exactly who God intended us to be. In the midst of a messy life, there's love, there's forgiveness, there's peace. When nothing else seems possible, there's peace. That's what he offers us. In just a few minutes, I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you to stand and to walk on the outside of your aisle, to come up front, to take the gluten-free wafer, to dip it into into the juice, put it in your mouth, and back down the center to your seat. Do remind that the table's open for everyone. Open your heart to what God has for you. Stand with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity for us to come, to be reminded, God, that it breaks my heart to hear that there are people that don't know you. And maybe it's because nobody's ever asked them. Maybe it's because nobody's ever told them. Maybe it's because... They've seen a God that's not who you are. Maybe they've just heard from other people that have misrepresented you. God, fill us so full of your love. Fill us, God, with all that you have, your body broken and your blood shed, God, so that we can see you. Bless us now as we receive these gifts. Amen.